How's it going, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Christian. Welcome to Liberty After Dark on this beautiful March 23rd, Monday. We don't usually do shows on a Monday, but we have a special reason for that because we have a special guest, the one and only Mr. Michael Cheney, businessman extraordinaire, British personality, uh, very interesting person with an interesting story. And I've been wanting to have him on this show for quite a while. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing as awesome as can be expected under the current climate. How are you doing? I am. I'm honestly, I'm doing quite well. Um, nobody is sick in my family or friend groups. Everybody's, you know, social distancing, being responsible. And it's right. I can't ask for much more. So good, good. Yeah, these are uh, strange times, definitely. But I think we're showing the, in some cases, showing the best in people as well in terms of how they're reacting to all of this. So. Oh, without a doubt. And we will definitely be talking about that for a little bit. But Mr. Cheney, so we've known each other for a few months now, at least. I think possibly six plus months at this point. We've at least known of each other. Yeah. And so I was in a very unique perspective to get to watch you being, uh, what's the word I want to look for here? Assimilated (laughs) into the liberty movement almost. I was and, wondering where that was going. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And uh it was a it was a beautiful thing to watch in the moment, but I've always wanted to be able to just sit you down like we have now and and right. just get you to talk about that. And you know, I just quick before you go into that, I just want to say, you know, for someone who is still what most people would consider pretty new to the whole liberty movement, you definitely went head first straight into the deep end. And uh, it's it's pretty interesting to watch. So I'll, I'll let you, you know, I won't tell your story for you. Why don't you go ahead and explain to the people? Yeah, well, I guess, um, where does it start? I mean, real quick, I won't go through the whole nine yards of my whole life history. Mm-hmm. But from a business point of view, I, I started my business back in, as I said earlier, 1999 slash 2000. I was already kind of against the grade, you know, against the grain, should I say, of um what many people see as mainstream society. You know, I, I, I worked in an oil company for two years right after university. And, you know, I saw the lights go out in people's eyes when I was at that job and they were just there just to sort of pay the mortgage. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, this is not at all what I, what it was sold to me as this is horrible. Um, I was then trained up to cover for somebody for a few months she went on maternity leave and she trained me up on all these tasks that I was supposed to do when she was away. When she left, I did all these tasks and I handed them up to my supervisor. And he said, oh, yeah, we don't, we don't need any of this stuff. We don't use any of this stuff that she does. She's just created a job for herself. And I said, oh, right. So I went up to his supervisor. And I said, this is, this is ridiculous. Give me something productive to do. This looks a bit like a joke. You know? and, he's, and this guy you know, I was talking to then he was 55. He was nearing retirement. And he's just said, I'm just biding my time and biting my tongue until I can retire and do something I enjoy. So I was like, screw this. I, you know, I, I'm out of here. So I set up my internet business, um, struggled for a long time to get anywhere with it, but then really broke through in a big way and started generating you know, seven-figure sums online. Um, and then have my sort of first experience of taxation in a big way. Uh, <laughs> I was hit. Um, well, when I first started working, I didn't even mention that, but for the first six months, I wasn't paying any tax. And I was so naive. I, I basically thought that my pay slip was my money. 
uh, and they the HR department contacted me six months down the line and said, actually, no, you've you owe us several thousand dollars. Um, and what you thought you were getting every month is now been cut by about 40 percent uh, because you weren't paying any tax. We put you on the wrong tax code. So that was my sort of first exposure to it. And then when I set up the business, we had a really, really good year. Um, our accountants weren't aware of um, how well we were doing during the year. Um, and the following year, we got hit with a tax bill for several hundred thousand dollars, which again caught us blindsided. We knew that we was going to be some tax, but not not to the extent that we were hit with. Um, so it was another kind of awakening of, oh my God, you know, they're, they're coming for us. <laughs> I tried to get into offshore programs and invest money um, and get the money out of the the inland revenue so out of um uh you know out of out of the government's hands but they came after us with that even though it was a legal loophole they shut that down and they were threatening us with fines um if we didn't give that tax money back plus interest so this was all many many years ago and you know as i say i've been against the grain and and living a a life that was very different to, to mainstream nine to five existence um i didn't really engage in politics in terms of you know voting i just didn't i just treated them all the same i just didn't want anything to do with those guys i just thought well look i'm gonna i'm gonna dictate my own future and it's down to me to to dis- de- determine my fate and, and what happens in the world and then um and then in about i think it was about april 2019 so yeah coming up for about a year i would say a little bit less um I was doing a live stream on Facebook uh, about my internet business and a bunch of Liberty memes people crashed the the live stream and were saying taxation is theft and were saying all this random stuff. And I was ripping the crap out of them and they were ripping the crap out of me. And it was, it was hilarious. Um, And because of that, I started to, I think there was this joint two way thing of let's get to know more about this guy from them. And then me saying, obviously let's get to know more about them. Even before that, I'd been exposed to libertarianism a little bit through Tom Woods, uh, who I'm pretty close friends with. We've done a lot of business together over the past two years. So I I was aware of him and familiar with him even before that happened. Um, But the the Liberty memes type of thing was really, you know, experiencing it on on a closer basis, seeing the, you know, how volunteerism was working, how people were looking out for one another separate to any government intervention and um, yeah, it, it just really sort of opened my eyes in a lot of ways. And then around the same time, maybe a couple of months after that, my dad uh, passed away, totally out of the blue. Um, and the government came knocking for, I think it was about $155,000 that they took out of his estate. So this was money that he'd already paid tax on, obviously, because he worked all his life as a teacher for about 40 years paid tax when he earned, um, invested that money, paid tax on any money that he'd withdrawn. Uh, and then because he died, they, they took uh, a massive chunk of, of his money out of his, his estate. The, the laws in the UK are different. I know in the US, I think you've got to have an estate of several million. His estate was nowhere near that. I mean, it was, you know, it was a few hundred grand. He'd saved a lot of money and worked really hard all his life. Uh, and the government came for their chunk and, and got paid first. Even they go direct to the bank accounts where the money was held and they get it straight from the bank account to them. We've not seen a penny yet and it's coming up for a year. They got their money um, probably, 
uh, about six months after he died. Uh, that was the first transaction was was the government getting the money. So that was just yet another um, another straw that broke the camel's back, if if you see what I mean. No, I totally understand. And that was that was a year ago, almost now. Um, my dad died. It was June that my dad passed away. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and as I say that the, being exposed to sort of liberty memes, I think was about April or so, April something like that, maybe possibly May. Um, so yeah, you know, a, a year next month, I guess. That's crazy to think about that it's already been that long. Honestly, it, it feels short. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, before uh, before I start feeling any older, you know, I'm already a year older today. You know, but um, that is, you know, that is such a. I feel like a lot of people can resonate with a story like that. You know, it wasn't like you you had a very sensible progression almost towards you are now. Like these, you know, it's not so much that you were indoctrinated into some kind of cult, just that you just needed someone to talk to you about it to begin with, probably, right? Seriously? Yeah, I mean, it was, I guess it was, yeah, being exposed to it in a different way, in a way that I could understand. You know, it. I've spoken about this before that, you know, I think libertarians with a small L, I guess, have a, have a problem I see in terms of trying to communicate what they're about to the outside world and, um, I know it was kind of tongue in cheek when it was done to me, you know, the sort of taxation, <laughs> is theft, taxation is theft. And, you know, I kind of get that, but, um, you know, I was saying this to, to Dan Behrman the other week when I got, I had him on my show and I was like, you know, the whole taxation is theft and, you know, wearing a silly hat and what I was like, I get that from people that are already on side, but for people that are maybe just starting to have their eyes open or maybe just getting a little bit, um, skeptical of, of mainstream and, and what's been said in the media and what the politicians are doing, that kind of full-on taxation is theft and you know down with government. It's it's not going to do it. You know it doesn't it doesn't um, doesn't cut the mustard. What really converted me, if you like, was um, I mean a number of things obviously happened to me personally from a taxation point of view and obviously with my dad as well, um, but also just seeing what people were doing on a one-on-one basis, the way that I was treated by individuals as opposed to any kind of group thing as a whole, but how individuals were, were responding to me during a time of my personal crisis, if you like, for, for no gain, no, you know, they weren't looking to sort of play me or, you know, get me on side or try and, you know, exploit my reach or my audience or my history or anything like that. They were just trying to help me. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like, you know, and it just made me want to learn more and made, made me want to, to know more. Um, and then when, the more I learned, the more I looked back at my history and what I'd gone through, and the more I realized that even though I'd, I was totally unfamiliar with libertarianism, because here in the UK, I could, I could literally say that word to 10,000 people right now at random, and none of them would know what it means here in the UK. I mean, if you think it's small in the US, in the UK, it is non-existent. I mean, people just don't even know what it is. They, they don't even recognize it. It's not they're not, you know, people know more about Lord Buckethead and the monster raving loony party <laughs> than they do the, the libertarians. It's not even out there as a wacky thing because the libertarian party in the UK is very kind of, from what I've seen, and you have to do a lot of digging to find it, they're quite straight down the line, straight laced. They're not wacky. They don't have these characters like Vermin Supreme and, oh, uh, yeah. you know, Dan, Dan Behrman. And, you know, it's, it's not like a Harry Potter's uh, convention when they meet up, you know, it's, it's very small and, uh, and say most people don't don't know about it. So, um, 
but yeah, I was able to look back once I was exposed to it and see that I'd been living through the, a lot of these ideals already. Um, you know, not wanting to dick anybody around, wanting to do things the right way, not um, forcing my stuff on onto anyone else and just really wanting to be left alone um, to do what I want as long as it doesn't, you know, screw anyone else up. Oh, yeah, no. I, th- I feel like, so there's this very famous poll that libertarians, particularly large, I'll like to talk about from, I think it was 2015, but it was before, or actually, I'm sorry, I think it was before the last election, so it would have been, yeah, 2015. Um, and it was, you know, oh, do you call yourself a Democrat or a Republican? What, what do you think about, you know, cutting the budget? And basically what it came down to is that everybody thought that the government shouldn't be wasting money, that taxes were bad, and that the government should stay out of people's lives, which is really weird. The overwhelming majority of people, except for some very strong minorities on each side of the left and the right wing were very just like, I just want to live my life away from everybody else and it's all working. So I I don't think, I don't really think it's a radical state of mind. I do think it is contrary to what we would consider normal. I do think that's a, that's a thing to, to talk about it as like a legitimate political philosophy, especially is very not normal, you know, but I did want to ask you some specific questions. So would you consider yourself, say, like a voluntarist now? Or are you like a minarchist? Or what's your flavor of libertarianism? I honestly don't know. I mean, I know this is another thing that I kind of take issue with in, in this area is this whole... Um, the names. Yeah, the labeling of things. I mean, just generally in life, I I don't like labels. Like I'm not, you know, I, I've gone through this process over the past few years of really just losing identity after identity after identity. You know, a few years ago, I used to be, you know, I was this entrepreneur and there was this online entrepreneur and that was me and I was building everything around that. And it was a, it was a measure of my success or failure if I wasn't ticking boxes in that area. Then I got into cycling in a big way and I started racing, um, you know, uh, bicycles really, really in a, in a big way. I got to the world championships at an amateur level I was winning trophies and medals and that became my thing. And I was like, everything that I was doing, the business took a back burner and everything was to, to become the best cyclist that I could. And I took that to a point where I, I kind of realized that it was literally during the, the last race that I had was at the, the second world championships that I went to. And during that race that I'd qualified for, I just realized I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not that I'm not. <laughs> I don't have to fight for that. I don't have to defend that. That's not what I am. I'm not any one particular thing. Because I think it, what happens is if you box yourself in or if you, if you, if you fall in that, into that trap of saying I'm this or I'm that or I'm not that, I'm not this, it shapes the way that you think and it shapes the way that you develop and limits you to a certain extent. I'm happy for anybody to call, call, me, what, call me whatever they want. Um, you know, I don't mind. I don't refer to myself as anything. I wouldn't even, you know, want to hazard a guess as what I am. As I say, I'm really what what I'm trying to do is just spread the message that there is an alternative way of thinking out there. There's an alternative way uh, of being, and there's an alternative way um, of living and generating income, which is what I'm obviously trying to do with with my business as well. Is show people that you can earn your own income using the internet and you don't have to rely on all these other things. Um, and as I say, I, you know, that's, that's kind of where I am in terms of a particular label. I, you know, I don't know. You probably know better than me. I mean, I think it was you. 
I think it was you when I first um, when we first came into contact. I think it was yourself, and you said, "Oh, you you should come into the AMCAP group or something." And I was like, "What the hell's that? I didn't even know what that was." Yeah, <laughs> and like, I know I I mention it now. I used it as like a tag on my uh, podcast thing because I'd read it at some point. I thought oh, that's kind of what I am. I'm you know I don't like leaders, and obviously I'm running my own business as an entrepreneur. So I'm obviously I'm a capitalist. Um, so I thought, well, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that at the moment. But as I say, I'm not. I don't look at that and think that's who I am or that's what I am. It's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I did a conversation. Oh God, it was probably a few months ago now talking about labels. I think it was actually in January. And mm. I, I think I've come to a point now where I, I agree with you. I really do that. I, I think that labels, you know, it's part of the way our brains work is that we want to be a part of some kind of tribe. Most people anyways, mm-hmm. or at least that's kind of the default. But I, I agree with you that once you start putting yourself in these boxes, it makes it easy for people to make assumptions about you, to just kind of write you off or say, like, if, if I tell someone I'm a libertarian, that not only does it mean about 9,000 different things, depending on who you say it to, uh, it also gives people kind of like a template to just put you on. And it may com- be completely wrong from what you actually are. So I, I usually say yeah. pick the most obscure thing that you can think of that no one's heard of that you identify with or just explain it. And then if they say, Oh, well kind of like this and say, sure. If, if those two things mean the same thing to you, then sure. You can call me that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, I think the biggest danger is, is not what other people say or think. Cause you know, that that's I, personally, I don't think that's important. What's well, not important to me, but I think it's, it's how you, it's how you treat yourself. It's how you think about yourself. You know, if you set yourself that lim- limited box of that's what I am, then, as I say, it, it prevents you from extending and researching oh. other things, growing in a certain way. Because you're like, oh, shit, I said that I was that. Even if you've not made it publicly, if in, in yourself you, you, you've you kind of announced yourself internally as a X, if you now start exploring something or you come across some information or you start researching an area or you read a few books and you think, actually, that you think, well, no, no, I can't because it's going against. Whereas if you're just this loosey-goosey thing, you're not a thing. You know, You're not anything. I mean... It's like um, uh, I'm quite into sort of spirituality side of things as well and uh, follow quite a lot of these Indian gurus over the, over the years, sages and whatnot, over time. And um, there's a chap called uh, Krishnamurti, and he says, uh, or said, he's, he's no longer alive now, but he says when you tell a, uh, a child that that is called a bird, they no longer see what it is. Right. So he says what basically what he's saying, every any time you give a definition to something, you say, right, oh, that's just a bird, that's a bird, you don't see it for what it is. You know, because that's it's just an arbitrary word that we've decided that's not a but it's not a bird, it's just that's what we've decided to call it. So it's this idea that um by doing that, and it's similar, it's similar to what you said there about when people give definitions to other people, they don't see the person, they don't listen, they don't hear what's been said, and they don't feel what that person's coming, where they're coming from. They just, they're looking at the definition that they've given and not at the actual object. Um, and that's what he talks about. I say, if, when you teach a, a child that a bird is a bird, then they don't, they don't see it anymore. They do, oh, it's a bird. You know, they're not actually physically taking in what's happening. You know, this thing is moving through the sky. It's flapping the, you know, we give it all these names, but it's just arbitrary. It's not that. You know, we, we don't know what that is. It's just something we just decided to call it that. And when you call it something, you give it a label, you start looking at the label and not at what the thing is. 
It's almost, I mean, that's, that's very, I mean, almost poetic of him. I mean, taking such a complex, what could be very beautiful creatures and turning it into a single syllable, four letter word is very mechanical, very industrial, almost of us to just, you know, okay, we put the label on it, put it back in the box. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's done now, right? What's the next one? Exactly. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's we tackled, cool. We tackled all of that, right? Next. <laughs> Bur- what, what, yeah, it's, uh, and people do it, you know, people do it with individuals. It's the same thing, as you say, oh, you're a libertarian. Oh, right, you're one of those guys, you know. Yeah, or, so, yeah. or even, you know, I mean, I, I'm guilty of this to an extent, too, you know. Uh, you know, someone comes up and it explains, calls himself say i don't know democratic socialist or something i i i don't know i'm curious to ask you how much do you think it's almost ingrained in us to an extent because i feel like you know i can almost come off as hypocritical because i do try to give everybody an open you know fair chance i I try not to write anybody off but i'd Mm. be a liar if i said oh someone comes up and says like oh i am a democratic socialist i think you know we should commandeer the means of production and stuff like that you know i can't help but i'll have alarm bells go off in my head to start saying like okay we gotta we gotta call no, me here you know <laughs> no i know what you mean i mean it's you know it's easier to say than, than it is to do it um and we do need language you know what i mean we do need labels we, we can't just go around i mean you know if you didn't call it a bird oh look, look at that amazing wondrous you know example of nature all congobulated with a collection <laughs> of molecules you know disassembly across the vista that you know it it doesn't work. You know, we, we need these labels, but I think the, the, the important thing is to see through them is to see past them. Um, but I think it starts with the individual. You know, if, um, if somebody leads a conversation with I'm a such and such right there and then, I don't care what that, what they inserted in the such and such. I already know that they're operating in a certain way that they're thinking, Uh. you know, people are wrapped around identity in the sense of, um, having to be something. And, and this is really going to come to the fore. I think a lot of people are going to struggle with this now over the coming weeks and months with the, you know, the lockdown and, and all of this stuff. People are going to see these identities fall away and they're going to have, there's going to be a lot of people in crisis um, about who they are and what they actually are because the identities that have built up, I'm a, you know, I'm an office worker who sits in this corner office and I'm, you know, I'm powerful and I drive to work in an Audi every day. Well, for the next three months, if you're not doing that, who are you? You know, and people will start to question this and start to realize that these things are just definitions. They're just labels that we give ourselves that we don't have to fit into these things. Um, they don't define who we are. They're useful shortcuts sometimes, but um, we're not that. We're not these definitions. We're not these uh, these labels. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people are going to struggle with that over the coming uh, weeks and months as these, as I say, the definitions that have built up about who they are based on what they do um, are just not going to be present anymore. Yeah, so I know you can't see my face, but I mean, if you, you could f- probably visibly see the gears turning in my head right now, I love this. Uh, I do want to come back to COVID-19 and to some of the other things we talked about, like from uh, online stuff. But I, I sure. do want to say um, that uh, I appreciate that insight a lot because I think that's, I think that's something that, you know, and, and I think a lot of people say it. I think almost everybody's default is, oh, I don't like labels. But mm. how many people would start off a conversation with, oh, I'm this or I'm that or this is me, you know? So how, how many people would say that they don't like labels but would immediately put one onto themselves? 
I don't know. It's such an interesting thing to think about. You know, you said that and I was like, wow, I mean, and people like you were talking about like that, the identities falling away. How much of these labels is just us wanting to belong, whether or not we, like you said, with the cycling, like whether or not that is us, we feel like it, at some point it has to be us. Yeah. That's, that's a very powerful thing to think about. Well, yeah, people, people try and hang, you know, once you get an idea or a label, you try and hang more stuff on it. You know, the more stuff you can hang on it mentally in your own brain with your own internal voice, the more solid it feels, right? Cause we're all trying to grasp onto something. You know, you're all trying to, you know, the world is a crazy place, particularly at the moment. And people are, you know, you people need that solidity. We need that concrete something to grasp onto. And a, a lot of that starts with the identity that we build up. You know, I'm a such and such. I'm, you know, I'm 46 years old and this is where I was born and this is my wife and these are my kids and this is what I do and this is who I am. But as these fall away, you start to realize that it's a very, very flexible, changeable thing. It's never, it's never the never the same. It can change overnight. Um, you know, like last week, I was you know I was in, like an internet marketer. I was a podcaster. This week, I'm I'm a teacher primarily. That's what I'm doing is spending a lot of time uh, teaching my kids. Probably five hours a day now, either prepping for lessons or teaching them. But I don't mind because I'm not I'm not rooted to to this one thing. You know, I'm not thinking oh I'm this is pulling me away from this, or this is pulling me away from this because of this. It's just, it's just what is, you know, this is another uh, statement that I really love that I was uh, sharing with um, a friend the other week who was really struggling with, with a personal issue. And I was like, just don't argue, don't fight with what is, you know, you can obviously try and change things, but if something already is in existence, don't like, you can't argue against realities. Oh my God, it's raining. Well, what, you know, it's just so pointless. Mm-hmm. You know, deal with, with what's in front of you, take action to try and improve it, but you can't just argue against, you know, something that, that is already in existence and, tr- and fight against that. It's just, it's the ultimate cause of stress is basically arguing with reality. That, that's, that's the only cause of stress is basically seeing, seeing what is and saying, I don't like it. And that's, that's where most people are <laughs> at the moment, rather than just accepting it and, and getting on. And that, that idea of an identity that's framed around it in a certain way prevents um prevents things washing over you as easily because you you're very resistant to anything that doesn't fit in that in that mold yeah so i mean that that whole talking about people pushing against reality i mean you know to kind of transition into talk about covid you know we're seeing that today i mean the uk prime minister just announced a few minutes ago that all basically all non-essential gatherings you're allowed to leave your home to go to a work if you work in an essential place, to get groceries, and to, he says, daily exercise. And the police are being given the authority to enforce that. So we're really starting to see a lot of change now across the entire world. You know, a month ago, we kind of joked, like, hey, you know, maybe, oh, quarantine, oh, Kung flu, it's going to kill us all, you know. But yeah, yeah. whether or not the numbers reflect the disease, we could talk about that later if you would like uh, or the the severity of the responses. Uh, yeah. Do you think that that the majority of this is kind of fighting against what is almost going to be a, at this point is seen as almost a certainty that the majority of the population will probably get this disease or a sizable chunk at least. Hmm. 
So do sorry. Do I think that most people will get it? Or well, yeah, I mean, do you think that most of the in the responses are kind of like a, a fight against trying to prevent something that may not be realistic to begin with? Right. It's it's difficult to know. It's really difficult to know. I mean, even even the experts don't know at the moment. I mean, the the biggest sort of piece of information that I've garnered over the past few weeks that's been going on, and, and like everybody, I've been spending a lot of time every day, probably more than other people, because of the <laughs> nature of the you know the podcast that i'm putting out and, and the the area that i'm now operating in um the be- the best piece of information i got was on saturday um on the bbc website and this was a piece um that was quoting a lot of the chief medical officer of the uk so this guy is directing the government in the uk all, the government is making all their decisions so they tell us based on the scientific advice uh, which is why they've been slightly slow to to react in some cases versus other countries because they said they've been driven by science. Now this piece on Saturday um was very interesting. It was it had the title is the government over egging coronavirus and I thought wait a second am I on the BBC website here this is like you know they they're normally you know they're like you know toe the government line or whatever and I was like wait a second and I read this piece very briefly on the Saturday, I don't have time to fully digest it. I thought I'll go back to it on Sunday. I tried to find it on the Sunday, and they changed the title of it um, from uh, "Is the government overegging coronavirus?" to uh, "Here's what we don't know about coronavirus." So I thought, well, firstly, that's interesting. They've changed the title, the whole title of the article. Then they prefaced the article in in bold, saying all the government measures have been justified in the efforts to save lives. And then the article continued. So those were the two oh. edits that were made overnight. So I, obviously I don't know the story that's gone on there, but the, the information, it made me want to re- read it even more once I'd seen that change had been made. The information basically said the me- chief medical officer in the UK does not know, the scientific community do not know how many, if any, of the deaths have been caused by coronavirus. So... What this means is that the figures that they're putting out every day in the UK, I don't know if this is elsewhere, I would assume it is, but in the UK, they are people are dying, obviously. They are testing if they have the virus. Um, they're testing pe- people that have died who have got the virus, and they're saying, okay, this is a, a dead person that, that had the virus. What they cannot tell definitively, and this is, again, the chief medical officer in the UK said this, we do not know to what extent... Uh, COVID-19 has caused um, the death. So just think of, I mean, this is huge. This should be like headline news. This literally means the deaths could be either zero from from COVID-19 and people are just dying as normal and just happen to have this disease, or it could be all of them, but they literally don't know. Now, when you compare that to uh, the flu, they know for a fact, and again, this was in the article, 8,000 people a year in the UK die from the flu. Now, this is additional deaths caused specifically by the flu, not people that were old and would have died anyway. In the UK, every year, 600,000 people die of old age and sort of, you know, because of, of conditions due to old age, 600,000 a year. Um, those flu deaths of 8,000 are additional to that. But what we don't know, and the scientific community doesn't even know this, and they're directing what the government does, they don't know if any or how many of the, the people that have died over this period 
have been caused by COVID-19. So that, to my mind, should be the leading story on all media outlets. Not that, you know, we've had all these deaths and so on. This could literally, and I'm not saying it is, I'm just saying this as devil's advocate, yeah. but it, it could literally be that they are reporting on people that would have died anyway. So as I say, the chief medical officer does not know how many people that have died already would have died anyway within you know a few days, weeks, or months in that, that figure of 600,000 deaths that occur every year due to old age in the UK. Um, so for the conspiracy theories, theorists, it really sets the alarm bells running because, as I say, you, you could literally say, well, if they don't know, it could be none. It could, of course, be all of them, and I'm sure it's it's neither. It's probably somewhere in between. Um, but the point is they don't know. <laughs> they don't have this data, and they're obviously trying to make decisions to protect people in one sense. I know they're trying to do a lot of other things as well, which we can maybe talk about. <laughs> but um, my my gut feel on this, and it's everyone's basically just got a hunch because not even the lead scientists know. So we're, we're all guessing. They're Even they're guessing by their own admission. My guess is that this is something that wipes out, that kills older people maybe a little bit before their time, maybe a few days, weeks, or months, and the health services could not survive if 600,000 people that are going to die this year die within the space of three months. It would overload the health system. It would mean that other people would die that wouldn't be in that 600,000 ordinarily, which, of course, is a bad thing. But if the government comes out and says, look, this is really just only targeting old people, um, they're going to die anyway, probably based on our on statistics, but we don't want them to die all at the same time because it's going to over. You know, if they said that, a lot of people just wouldn't bother doing what they're doing. So I think it's almost again, this is just my hunch, but I think they're having to play this up so that people get scared and stay at home, so it doesn't wipe out older people in bigger numbers in a short period of time, which would then lead to further deaths in different age groups from people that don't even have COVID. 19 because they can't get a, a hospital bed in you know in the icu but i say that's total guesswork but what we do know is that they don't know how many deaths have, have been caused by covid19 so all these figures that you see you know this is how many covid19 deaths there are you know coronavirus has killed you know thousands more and it's not true it's not true people have died they had coronavirus the link between the two is not known so you know, it, I say it to me that was that was the biggest piece of information I'd got out of this whole several weeks of, of seeing all this and, and the whole media circus around it. Yeah, uh, just a couple quick things from again, I'm not an epidemiologist and not that that, you know, if I just said that it doesn't necessarily make whatever I would say true anyways, that's important to realize. But um, from my understanding, the number one cause of death with people with COVID-19 is actually pneumonia from a bacterial infection, which comes from your immune system being weakened by COVID-19. It's not necessarily the COVID, COVID gives you uh, pneumonia directly, but so that could possibly be going to what you're talking about as far right. as it just being an accessory to murder as you know, and it's, you know, but you get what I'm saying there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think, uh, I think you bring up an interesting point that I haven't thought about. Because someone my age, like I, I have zero concern essentially that COVID nineteen would kill me. I would probably get it and have a mild flu like symptoms and be over it. That seems to be the overwhelming majority of people in their twenties, except for people who are already immunocompromised or smokers. I believe. Excuse right. me. And 
you know, I think as much as I th- am not sure if it's ethical to upplay and misdirect, I think you might be right to a certain extent. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody where they said, like, okay, look, the flu infected 57 million people, the swine flu infected 57 million people, and 12,000 of them died. You know, what's, what's the big deal here? And I, I said, you know, I get what you're saying, but if – let's just pretend the 3% death rate, which is what's published now, is accurate. You know, in places like Italy, it's closer to 9, uh, which is terrible to think about. But, uh, you know, this, let's say this 3% death rate is fine and 57 million people catch that. That's, I think, 1.2 million people who – that's way more than the 12,000 people who were killed by swine flu. So yeah, I, I think we have to contextualize this. Um, I, I'm not going to be making any claims on whether I think this was some kind of government-planted disease. I have no information to support that, um, and I don't like speculating without any, any evidence. Right. Um, but what I will say is that there is a disease, people are catching it, and it does dramatically disproportionately affect older individuals to the point that if I was over 60, I would be minimizing my contact with people as little as possible. Um, and so what do you, what do you think about the people who say, particularly in the Liberty sphere, kind of where we operate, there's a big pushback to these quarantines. Very big pushback. So, I mean, what is, what is, what is your personal opinion? You know, I'm, I'm not asking so much what, you know, you're going yeah. to do, but what, what's your personal opinion on a government quarantine? It's it's a tricky area, isn't it? It's it is. Area. I mean, I think the difficulty with it, as I say, is, is just going back to that core point that nobody knows. It's not it's not one of these usual cases where you can go and do research and you can either you can choose a side. You know, you can say, okay. This side is saying such and such. This side is saying such and such. I've done the research and I've decided on this one. There is no data on either side. And I, even, as I say, even the lead scientists dictating the, the political decisions to enforce lockdown and so on in the UK, even they do not know. So all of it is, is conjecture-based and speculation-based. I, I flip-flop. Until I read the article on, on Saturday... I flip flop between it's it's completely blown out of all portion to oh my god it, you know it's 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 totally going to wipe us out. I mean I think the and something else that they're doing which I don't agree with is the comparison to Italy because Italy is a very unique uh, country in Europe. It has its population is ten years on average ten years older than any other country in Europe. So they have by definition an older population. So. Right off the gate, off the gate, it's not a, an apples for apples comparison, and we can't make country to country comparisons anyway, because of all the different variables of you know genetics and the the mix of individuals and, and people in that country, the the food that people eat, the lifestyle that they have, the weather. I mean, it's it's impossible. The health Density, system. Yeah. I mean, you can just go on. There's so many variables in this thing. I mean, you know, I read the other day Italians. You know, and I've been been to Italy. I know that. They like to be outside. They spend a lot of the time outside. They greet each other very physically. You know, even the men will kiss each other and things like this. So that there's things that are, you know, going on with, with the, the, the numbers in Italy that may not, hopefully, may not be replicated elsewhere. Um, but as I say, nobody's really got an answer for this. You know, are these people going to die anyway? I mean, obviously, we're all going to die. But, you know, how soon before their time is this actually taking them? 
or are we literally just talking about an acceleration of people that are very near the end of life anyway? Of course, it's still tragic, but it makes a big difference. If, if the government had that information, I'm, I don't think they do, but if they did and they could say, yes, this is tragic and it's wiping out this year's kind of graduation class, if you like, in, in two months rather than 12 months, then obviously that's terrible, but um, it's not spreading beyond that. It's really those guys that are the, the end of life that are really at risk from this. Um, but as, as I keep saying, they, they don't know that. We, we don't know the, the extent. We don't know that link between the virus and, and death at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's very difficult. So in, in terms of answering your question, quarantine, um, I, can understand, I can see it from both sides. I can understand why they're doing it. I don't think there's any kind of, from a quarantine point of view and keeping people at home, I, I don't buy into any of the conspiracy theories that that's some sort of power play or that there's anything to gain from that directly from a government point of view. I, I just cannot see that. I think you've got to be pretty convoluted to come up with some sort of reason why that would be good for for a tyrant to do. Other than it's a, you know, it's a show of power, you know, it puts people down, it puts them under the thumb kind of thing. But other than that, I just don't see it as being something that they would do regardless. Some of the other things that they're trying to do uh, while yeah. this is going on you know, like the, trying to end the end-to-end the end encryption laws, uh, you know, the the Pfizer Act and, and all these kind of things, different things are going through. I mean, they passed the, the coronavirus bill in the UK, which enables, you know, huge powers far reaching beyond the virus and that they're saying they're putting in play for two years. And so, I mean, it's that is is where the issue is for me. That's where the danger is. In terms of the quarantine, I'm not so bothered about it. I don't think it's, obviously it's, it's inconvenient. It is an overreach by definition that, you know, it's a, it's a breach of liberties, but I think if I was playing devil's advocate and giving them the benefit of the doubt, what, what else can they do? I mean, they don't have the data, you know, that they're trying to minimize the the impact of this. So I can understand why they're doing it, but again, none of us have, have enough information to, to make decisions on so that they're making bad decisions or they're making the least bad decisions that they can. We hope, um, and we're trying to make judgments on what exactly is happening with, with no little to no information. I think that's fair. I, I hold pretty much the same opinion on the legislature. That is where my big focus is. The bills that they're trying to put through and the money that they're trying to spend to save our dead economy is, right, is right. an absolute just disgrace. Um, but we don't have to get hung up on that for too long. I wanted to speak about something that I think is interesting that COVID is going to give us an opportunity to experiment on that you have a lot of experience with. And that is the boom of working from home. Right. So everybody's uh, a lot of businesses. Education is almost completely online across the entire United States now for higher education and public or public schooling, which is an interesting concept to think about. Uh, But also people are starting to work remotely who can And I don't know if you've seen the data specifically, but it's been pretty much all but proven that if you weren't an extremely lazy person in the office, you're not going to be an extremely lazy person at home. In fact, there's proof to show that you are more productive when you work from home. So do you think, uh, I've talked about your personal experience a little bit about working from Mm. home and what you can share about that for people who may be transitioning into that lifestyle. And do you think that the experiment will be something that sticks for some people yeah i i'm 
hopeful that this could backfire for the government in quite a big way because I think people are going to start to realize they need less from life. You know, they need less. I mean, my wife and I were out with the kids and our dog this afternoon, and we were just walking in a field. Uh, my daughter, who's seven, was rolling down the hill, rolling down the grass hill, and we were all laughing. The dog was jumping around. We were just like, this is it. This is all we need. We just need each other. We need shelter and we need food. Right? And I think what's going to happen or could happen as people are being forced, if you like, to spend more time away from the mainstream society and away from the rat race, that they're going to realize that they can control more uh, of their own happiness and they can control their destiny more um, and that they can do more when they are uh, when they're fr- when they're at home and they don't have all these other distractions and other people pulling them, they they can actually drive themselves forward. So I'm I'm hopeful that it can actually lead to quite a big shift in society and people starting to open their eyes as to what they could do and the fact that oh wow life still goes on. I've stepped off this thing, it's still going on, and actually I feel somewhat relieved that I'm out of this thing. Maybe I should investigate that. You know, maybe I should get my own thing going or maybe I won't go back to work, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think there'll be a lot of that going on. Um, In terms of homeworking, it is, you know, when I tell people what I do, you know, I work from home, run my own internet business. Oh, most people, nine out of 10 people will say, Oh God, I could never do that. You know, I, I just could never do that. I'd be distracted and, you know, I'd watch TV and I just never get anything done. And I, my stock stock answer is, well, you know, if it's your own business, if you don't work, you don't get paid. So it's, you know, there's, there's very, uh, there is no greater motivation than that. You know, people yeah. can turn, you know, you can turn up at work and I did this many times because I was in a job I hated and you can do the bare minimum. Sometimes you can get away with doing nothing and you'll still get paid. Um, if you do that at home, when you're working for yourself as you as an entrepreneur, you won't, obviously you will not get paid. So it's, it's a good motivation from that point of view. I've not actually worked from home. It wasn't a thing when I was uh, in in the late 90s when I actually had a job. Um, so I've not worked for somebody else from home. But I do know from my own experience that um, the biggest um, – well, there's, there's a few things I, I would recommend. One is uh, if you've got kids, don't um, don't shut the door on the kids. I, I spoke to a good friend a few years ago um, – when the kids were sort of three and one, they were just come, you know, growing, growing up. And I said to this guy, I'm thinking of getting a shed, like a log cabin, putting it in the garden and getting, you know, doing my, my work there. He said, no, no, don't do it. You'll miss too much. You know, you'll miss too much. Stay in the house and keep your door open. He said, just don't shut your door. And I was like, that's really weird advice, but I've, I've stuck to it over time. So, um, if the kids want anything or something's happening or like, Oh, come and see this outside. You know, they come through and yeah, it's distracting. And sometimes it's frustrating if I'm trying to get something done, or I'm in the middle of something, but I'm getting out of it. What I wanted to get out of it. The whole reason I really got into this internet thing after I'd got over my uh, egotistical drive to make a million dollars, which was rather foolish, um, was to be able to see my family grow up, you know, and, and be with my kids. Unlike a lot of these guys that, you know, leave at breakfast time and come back to top them in at night. You know, I wanted to see and not miss, you know, their first steps and first words and all that stuff. So that would be my first bit of advice is don't hold yourself away, you know, keep an open door policy so that you're 
you're not missing the most important thing, which is family. You know, we, we often get distracted by that and work so hard to, to get money that we forget why, why are we doing this? Oh yeah. I, you know, I, the example I often use is people are, that are walking the dog on their cell phone, you know, they're, they're busy taking business calls on the f- cell phone. And, you know, I, I always want to drag them to one side and say, Oh, why, why are you doing oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm busy. I, I've got calls to make. I want to make money. Okay. Well, what do you want to make money for? Oh, so I can, you know, chill out and have lots of spare time. Okay. Well, what do you do in your spare time? Oh, I love to walk the dog. And it's like, well, you know, you've got these opportunities in front of you. So don't, you know, don't waste them. So that would be the first thing. And the second thing would be to shut the door when you're not, when you uh, leave the office. And I, I go through periods of being really good at this. Sometimes I'm not as good at it, but um, operating nine to five, you know, basically going into the home office, doing a set number of hours. And then when you're finished, turn off the PC, turn off the computer, turn mm-hmm. off the laptop, walk away. Okay. And don't go back. I mean, I, quite regularly, I would, um, I went through a period of months of doing this recently. I've not been doing it largely because of what's going on. Um, but I would turn my phone, I would turn my cell phone off and just leave the phone downstairs. So I'm going upstairs, you know, I'm watching TV, chilling out with the wife and non, no gadgets or, you know, uh, devices at all until, you know, the next morning. Um, and you just get way more done, you know, and you don't have that um, temptation to go back and do just a little bit more. Um, so yeah, that would, that would be my two tips would I say one, leave the door open if you've got family and kids, so you don't miss anything and you actually experience, you know, your family growing up. And the second would be to close the door at the end of the day, you know, set a set time and just don't go back because you need that time. You need time away uh, from all this stuff. Otherwise it's, you know, it's pointless. You'd probably end up doing more work than, than you would in the office otherwise. So if you don't mind me asking, are your kids uh, public educated or homeschooled? Yeah, they're public educated. But what we've been doing, I, I'm, I would probably, I'm more leaning towards homeschooling. Even before all this started, I was leaning towards homeschooling. Uh, I'm, I'm working on my wife with that regard. So we'll see how it goes. Mm. Maybe ask me, ask me in 12 months. But, okay. but what I have been doing is um, I've been augmenting what, they, what they're learning at school with weekend teaching. So we do this thing called daddy school. Um, most Saturdays I'll sit down with them and I'll draft up a bunch of lessons um, and we'll spend Saturday morning and I'll, you know, I'll teach them what, what I want to teach on my Saturday. So I kind of, you know, obviously closely monitoring what the, how they're getting on at school um, in that sense, but really tr- conscious that there'll be a lot of things that they're missing out on. I'm not, I'm not a great believer in the, um, you know, that they're going to be, their brains are going to be filled with the wrong kind of stuff. And, you know, to a certain extent, I mean, the, the whole school system I feel is really geared up towards, you know, industrial society and getting used to being told what to do at certain times and follow orders and being used to sent away, you know, that school largely is there so that the worker bees can go off and earn money to pay taxes. So I do get all that. I definitely do feel that. But in terms of teachers, because both my parents are teachers and I've experienced what they went through and the efforts that they put in personally, I'm not a, a great proponent of this. You know, all teachers are trying to indoctrinate kids with the government, you know, <laughs> message and so on. Um, I know some people are that way. I know certainly in the US, I believe you do you not pledge allegiance to the flag every day. Is that a case in, in the US? We we do. We do. It right. is not compulsory in the education but yes they all right. and a lot of states do their state pledges too <laughs> right i didn't know that yeah. but yeah so there's, there's not we, we don't have that going on in, in the schools there's no kind of overarching messaging that, that i'm aware of um 
I know obviously it's handed down as a national curriculum that, that's delivered down. But yeah, to me, the homeschooling more is to is to augment their learning with things that they wouldn't be tackling. Like the things that I've started putting on our little home curriculum that we're doing now, you know, I'm putting on technology there. I'm going to be teaching them virtual reality as my class uh, lesson with mm-hmm. them tomorrow. Um, Cause I think that's, that's a huge, you know, that's definitely the way forward. And that's something else that's going to really blossom as a result of this carnage that's happening at the moment. Um, but yeah, preparing them more for life, you know, teaching them business skills, teaching them how to market, how to, you know, profit and loss and things like this, as well as obviously the, the fundamentals as well. Well, that's good. I, yeah, I was just, I was curious. Um, I know you'd brought it up earlier, so I wanted to see what your position on that was. Uh, so I know you said uh, you wanted to do pretty close to an hour. So I think we're about to hit that pretty soon. Uh, just a couple things to wrap up, just some real quick. Sure. Don't have to spend too much time on them. Uh if you had to guess, if you had to pick a number, how, how long do you think all this is going to last for oh, the COVID? God. Yeah. Well, what do you mean in terms of how, what's how, how long are people going to be getting sick and people be before it starts to calm down? I've heard a lot of different things, so I'm just curious what your spitball. You, you know, you're, yeah. no one's here is looking for some kind of. Oh yeah, no, no, yeah. yeah, no, I'm my brain's from everything that I've read. Um, I mean, I know they're throwing a lot of figures out there that. Again, we don't know. They seem the government seem to do this. They seem to, you know, they're putting worst case scenario stuff out there to prepare us um, in a certain way. You know, I, I mentioned this earlier on. I did a Facebook Live, and and they have this three step strategy. I don't know if you've noticed this. First, they ask you, then they tell you, and then third is they force you. Um, and at the moment, most of the countries are somewhere between two and three. Everybody's been asked to isolate or, or whatever. That was largely ignored. Most people have now been told forcefully in certain and non certain terms and now seems we're now entering the, the phase of forced obviously some of the countries in europe china's obviously already gone through it italy uh, spain france and so on are now in the forced phase as are many of the states mm-hmm. as you know in, in the us and now uh, the uk um i would say if, i would say we probably um yeah i would say three months is my guess until there's any semblance of normality uh, that that's my gut feel is that um, I don't think it's going to be over. Um, but I think things may be lifted uh, within three months. I think until that point, my gut feel is we're going to be, they're just going to keep ramping up the lockdown scenario. Um, that's a scary thought. <laughs> but I mean, if that's, yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think people who say this will be over by May or, smoking crack for lack of a better term um <laughs> yeah no i don't i don't see that at all i mean there's going to be repercussions of this for obviously for years but i think we're not even at a lockdown here in the uk i know i think it's 11 states is it at the moment in the us that have kind of got forced you know forced to stay at home yep it's yep. it's not going to go backwards from here you know at the moment we've not reached the peak of infections and deaths in either of our countries and we've not reached the peak of government enforcement and you know uh boots on the ground to to uh, enforce this either so that's probably maybe a week away maybe two weeks away from reaching the peak of enforcement as we've seen in italy they had this lockdown for i think now two weeks i believe today was maybe the first day or maybe yesterday was the first day that the number of deaths has dropped from the previous day but they were in lock a complete lockdown for two weeks prior to that so if you do the moving forward as i say we're probably maybe a week away to two weeks from a complete lockdown enforced 
And that had to be in place in Italy for two weeks until possibly they've now started to see some result of that. So that's at least a month. And obviously, you know, that's not going to be a time when they're going to start lifting it. You know, if they, if they see results, they're going to keep doing it um, until it's at a safe level where people can be released. But yeah, it's, it's a crazy scenario. But as I say, the, the, the less boxes we put ourselves in, the easier all this is because um, it is what it is. You know, we, what, what can we do? I mean, we, you know, we literally can't do anything. There's no point we can talk about it and we can, you know, try and spread the, spread the word about it and we can get frustrated about it. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if there's a, if there's a soldier on the street that's saying, you know, go into your house or, you sh- or I'll shoot you, then I'll be in my house. Yep. <laughs> I can uh, completely understand that. I, this is a perfect time. I loved having you here, but I do have one more thing. I know that you, for a lot of these people who are getting unemployed, you have an opportunity to help some of them make money when maybe they are losing their jobs or looking into moving into working for themselves or online marketing. Why don't you go ahead, give yourself a little upsell. I'd be, I'd feel bad if I didn't give you an opportunity to talk about what you do. I'm not even going to do it, man. I'm going to, I'm going to tell them about my podcast. And if they want to come and check out my podcast, I do it Monday through Friday, um, all on uh, Liberty. Also I talk about entrepreneurship as well. Uh, just go to Michael Cheney show dot com at michaelchaneyshow.com if you like my podcast um then you'll you'll find it. I, I plug the the home learning stuff in the podcast so that's that's the way that i'm doing it now i'm not i'm not pushing any products or anything it's basically look come and listen to me hear my story and if you like what i've got to say and the message that i've got that i'm trying to put out there then you know by all means come and learn more but okay well, good. Um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, everybody, make sure you go out and check that. You've been doing some really good stuff lately. I've been trying to stay on top of it, but you put out a lot of content, so that's a good thing. That's it. Five days a week. You've got to be consistent, man. Yeah, well, that's something I definitely need to work on. Um, yeah, but uh, good stuff, though, definitely. Cool. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to uh, be uh, tapping you up to come on my show as well, so we'll, uh, we'll, speak, we'll speak after this and arrange that. Yeah, sounds yeah. good. Um, I am think we're done on the live stream, so uh, we'll make an announcement whenever we get all that scheduling done. But once again, this is Liberty After Dark with Christian and today interviewing Michael Cheney. Thank you, everybody, for coming out. Uh, it was a blast. Uh, very glad that we got to get to do this. Bye.